Hello, friend. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch. This is your Mr. Robot Recap Podcast, brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm here today with Devlin. Morning, Aaron. Good morning. Yes, we're recording this before we go to our our day jobs. <laughs> and I'm very sleep-deprived, to be honest. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> uh, we thought we should maybe start off this episode... Um, just with a bit of a caveat for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those episodes that might have been bundled with a trigger warning if I wouldn't have spoiled the entire story. Um, so maybe we should kind of include one of those here because we're expecting that you've already seen this episode. And if it's something that you didn't really find comfortable, then maybe it's not a really good idea to listen to this episode of our podcast. Exactly, because I think we want to be sensitive to people who might have relatable experience uh, and who might be triggered by some of the content, because we were talking offline and there's there's really not a way we can see to talk about this episode without talking about those difficult and potentially triggering things. So we'll, uh, we'll let you make that decision for yourself. Uh, and we'll also, uh, on our Twitter, um, we'll post some phone numbers for various support services that people can access uh, if you were triggered by Sunday's episode and if you do find yourself in need of support. Yeah, I I think that we do know that Mr. Robot has always been a kind of dark and challenging series. Um, When I was going into this episode, you had told me that somebody had posted some, that it was leaks and that there were some very challenging scenes in it. And I thought, oh, it must be this scene. And then it was like, oh, no, it must be that scene. And then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I could really tell what people were talking about by the end. In my notes, there are three different places where I I say, oh, this is it. This is the really challenging moment. Uh, It is a really challenging episode. A lot of people have remarked on the acting in this episode. Did anything strike you about the performances? Oh, absolutely. And um because of the kind of constrained environments, I think that the actors also had a really good opportunity to put their skills on display. Um, because there wasn't so much going on in the sets that they were involved in, the entire episode really relied on all the performance. I think the performance was so compelling that it took me out of At first, I'm really distracted by the fact that there's like a rainstorm going on on Christmas Day. <laughs> Is that ordinary for New York? No, because their climate would be like our climate. So it takes it took me a minute to kind of get past that point. And I get that it's sort of an ambient piece. Um, and I'm sure there's probably a metaphor about a storm um, that maybe I'm supposed to pick up on there. But I did need to be distracted from it. <laughs> um, well, maybe that's just a, a future we can envision after climate change takes hold. <laughs> no, oh, um, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that, like, this storm, um, it's actually a bit of an important part of the episode, although it might not fit the uh, actual setting of New York City, because it sort of intensifies, and it becomes a a really huge thunderstorm by the end of the episode once this tension really sets in. One of the things I picked up on, so we were talking about how this was intended to be a commercial-free episode, but for Canadian viewers, that wasn't the case. No, um, I figured that it must have been commercial-free on USA Network, but when it was syndicated into Showcase in Canada, we still had episodes that were like every five minutes, and I think there were more episodes than they were television. 
Well, I looked at the the episode length is about 50 minutes. And so the actual viewing time on Stack TV, which is what I watched on, was about 70 minutes. So it does take you in and out of the story to be in these kind of intense and focused emotional conversations and then watching, say, a Subaru ad. Yeah. And they mean, also, who wants to have their commercial next to this episode, if you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Although on IMDb, this has a perfect 10 rating. So maybe everybody wants a, a commercial on this episode. <laughs> Good point. I can see it that way too. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about, I was thinking a lot about traditional play structure. And this is a story told in five acts, which is usually how Shakespeare's plays are structured. Oh, yeah. And I know that um, Shakespeare is something that's been referenced before with regards to um, Macbeth being uh, Tyrell and Joanna. Um, And not only that, but this episode does kind of seem to embody like a stage performance into a television episode. Do you feel the same way? I do. And it's I think partly because of the stripped down set and the sort of um the small cast in the episode and also from the camera angles we also only ever see it from one direction or rather we never see it from the other the other side that might break the fourth wall and even um mr robot who has known for breaking the fourth wall by speaking to us he has never really see that either that's so interesting to think about it that way because you're right we only really see it the way we would if we were a seated theater audience from from the one side um the other thing I'll say here is I think Elliot Villar uh, is like a Shakespeare-level villain. And actually, did you know he went to the Yale School of Drama? I, I feel like I could have guessed that based on his performance, but uh, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, he. I, I think, you know, as much as I had said in previous episodes, maybe that the Vera storyline was not so compelling for me. He makes that character compelling in this episode uh, and I think does a fine job of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can feel like Vera, his... I I wonder if his character is something that he normally portrays or if it's something where he needs to kind of step into the shoes of somebody that's really unfamiliar to him. Well, if you look at interviews with the actor, he seems like a... And I mean, of course, they're they're interviews, but you know, sort of buttoned-down, more soft-spoken kind of guy. So it seems like this is really putting himself into the head of someone else. And I think we get some depth to that character um, that might have made this story more interesting to me um, if we had had it a little earlier. Right. And to me, to be honest, the very storyline does kind of feel a little bit out of place coming up after his long absence, because compared to the other adversaries that Elliot has, uh, that Elliot's facing right now, like White Rose, he seems like he can't really compete with them. In this, and I know um, there are certainly some people in the fandom who would not appreciate this comparison, um, but in this episode, I start to feel that he's a bit more like Terrell than I had previously considered. I don't know if you would agree with that. You mean Vera? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, well yeah. I almost feel like that's like a comparison that they're really trying to push onto us because um, we can see that he has these like really spiritual ambitions aren't really explained like um tyrell had about feeling like elliot's and him were meant to be gods and um vera in some ways tries to build up a partnership with elliot that isn't really reciprocated in much the same way as tyrell those are really interesting points and i thought to me what's where i see the linkage is their boundless ambition 
which is, as you mentioned, anchored in that sort of pseudo spiritual uh, kind of dialogue. So, I mean, the big difference between them would be social class. So I kind of checked myself where, why do I think Vera is so much less interesting or so much more sinister? Um, and, you know, is some of it that where, you know, Terrell is certainly, if I think about it objectively, probably as big a villain. Good point. And also when you think about um, what Vera does achieve in this episode, if you could call it achievements, I mean, I don't. It's it's such a difficult episode to talk about. He does actually prove that he's pretty capable of getting what he wants, I feel. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we talk about Act 1? Um, no, I think why don't we get into it. So Act 1, and I'm going to forget the name of the literary theorist um, right at this moment, but in a Shakespeare play, this is considered sort of the exposition. So it sets the stage for everything that's to come. And... There's a brief moment at the at the beginning where Elliot is still in the trunk of the car, and that's the only scene we get that's outside of Krista's apartment for the full episode. Oh yeah. Um. So this is where I first uh, I first think that I've caught the trigger warning because there is um, drug use peppered throughout the episode, um, and so we see Vera um, smoking some kind of pipe based substance. Um, that was a very eloquent way to phrase that, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really an expert on this either, though, so I'm not going to try and identify what that was. No, and I don't think what it is is really of any particular importance to us, but it's more, I think it sets the stage where he's impaired through this conversation as well. Yeah, and it's something that might make him more volatile. I wanted to ask you, do you think this episode would work as a standalone play? I think that um, it would, although there is so much backstory that makes it more interesting to see once you know those factors that are going into it. But it does also have the familiar structure that would make it um, have the same kind of beginning, middle, and end that a play would, I would feel. Mr. Robot is in the scene, and he seems quite preoccupied with looking for a way to escape. And I think he and Elliot are at odds because Elliot seems to be looking to engage with Vera at least to get a read on Krista's safety. Right. I feel like, um, once again, this kind of brings back our season one vibes where Mr. Robot is not so interested in the safety of other people. It's really just about um, what Elliot's goals are at any given time. We remember back when he was trying to blow up Steel Manson. So um, now we're back with Vera, another season one villain. And um, Mr. Robot is just trying to get out. He's not really concerned about what Krista is up to right now. Elliot tries to put Vera on the spot and ask why he hasn't reached out earlier, because we know that he approached Darlene in the street a couple of months ago. And it sounds like Vera was really trying to prepare himself for this moment. And that also reminded me of Terrell, who also went to some lengths to try to make himself ready for Elliot. The immediate impression that I get is that Elliot is on the offensive in this conversation. And compared to the previous encounters that he's had with Vera, a person who we know is really frightening, it seems like Elliot is much more confident in handling him this time. He does bring a certain confidence to the conversation, um, and at some points is almost even an aggressor in it. Um, Although you you have to think, I mean, at this point, he's tied up and outnumbered, so he's not in the best position to be taking that approach, but it is the one he takes. Yeah, unless he goes like Drew Barrymore and Charlie's Angels on them. Yeah, which I don't think we'll probably see, you know. So Vera had done this sort of 
trip back to the homeland and spend some time with a shaman trying to understand his purpose in future. Yeah, so I actually don't know if what they're trying to describe about this drug like contradicts what my expectation is of it, but I think that what he's talking about is um, an ayahuasca trip, which is... Um, oh, an ayahuasca trip. Yeah, the the main compound there is um, DMT. And so I've also mentioned once there's a, a movie called um, Enter the Void, which takes like a really realistic portrayal on what a DMT trip is like. But um, I'm not sure if that's like what they're actually trying to reference, but I do actually know a person who went to South America for an ayahuasca shaman trip. So that's what that made me think of. Interesting. <laughs> I was trying to look up um, if there's any significance to the number 88, because he talks about by the 88th day, he owned his own island. Oh, God. Well, there is, but I hope that's not what they're talking about. <laughs> there is a linkage between the number 88 being used as a white supremacy symbol. Yeah. Um, but I, and I don't think that's what's intended because it doesn't seem to link to the rest of his story. But it also, eight symbolizes infinity. So there is also the idea that maybe it's, he's referring to the infinity of the universe. Um, this is probably less likely, but apparently it's in telegraph abbreviations. Uh, 88 means love and kisses. <laughs> well, actually, I kind of was wondering if that would happen by the end of this episode. So maybe that is what I meant. I mean, maybe his heart's full of love. He's just very misunderstood. I don't know where I'm going with that. Yeah. His heart grew three sizes this episode. Uh, so Vera gets his island and then he's bored. And so I think I had used this quote before in reference to another character, but just to talk about their two great tragedies, not getting what you want and getting it. Yeah. And, um, they say it in a really understated way as the camera is panning over to Krista's, um, hostage situation. But, um, we can hear Vera say that, um, the reason he was kind of able to take over in this other environment was because of 5-9. So this kind of brings us back to the unintended consequences of what Elliot's hack was and how um, they're coming back to haunt him now because in an inadvertent way, he had empowered Vera and given them this opportunity to come back and attack him. And isn't that interesting um, because there are so many unintended consequences of that hack and I think those are all weighing on Elliot as he tries to pull off this last big hack to finally right that wrong. Did you see that link that I sent you yesterday about the hack in real life that was very similar to this one? I didn't have a chance to open it. Why don't you tell me about it? Yeah, it was um, a hack about um, a bank in, I think, uh, Cayman Islands. And um, it just echoed so much of what has been going on in Mr. Robot so far. I almost feel like I must have been inspired by it. Elliot is pretty persistent asking about whether Krista is okay. And I actually just read a book about hostage negotiations. And apparently that's a very powerful tool to keep asking, how do I know that this person is okay? Um, to get a, a verification of, um, of their wellness. Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, I just read a, a different book by uh, Machiavelli. <laughs> and I was thinking that like, by asking about this so much, he was kind of showing his hand that Krista was the only thing that he was interested in. And you can see that Vera hangs that over him as the episode goes on. Exactly. She becomes um, almost a, a point of leverage for each of them in different moments. Although she certainly has her own agency uh, as we move through the story. One thing I, 
I really seized on in this early scene is that apparently Isaac, um, Vera's brother, was the one who, in fact, killed Shayla. It made me so sad to hear about Shayla again, but of course, that's a character who's going to be echoed when Vera comes back. Vera wants his own special introduction, and that is the end of Act 1. In Act 2, so in a Shakespeare tragedy, this is the rising action phase, so where the central conflict of the story is introduced, and that's when Elliot does get to see Krista, and we get all of these characters in the room together. I was also thinking, like, are there any other um, inspirations you can feel from Shakespeare or other plays in this episode? Because I think they're really trying to draw a lot of comparisons here, but I'm just not as... uh, like fluence in those things as you are there is a reference to um i think to waiting for Gatto, but it comes almost at the end so i'll probably circle back to that question and there's certainly lots i don't know about theater but it's one reference that i thought i picked up here's where i think i see the second trigger warning this is the one that really like uh rang the alarm bells for me it was really um it's not something I like seeing in television, and I was almost like uh, feeling like I should turn it off at this point, to be honest. It's really uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah, but I guess that's what they're going for, and that's um, what they're trying to show us, like, what Vera is capable of doing. And we don't like thinking about that, and this is uh, a way of putting it right in our faces. And I think the idea is that if Mr. Robot is a protective presence then Vera needs to do something so provocative that he'll feel that he needs to show up to the aid of someone else. Yeah, and for somebody who's really like the target of all kinds of jokes in this episode about his stupidity, Vera does seem to actually manipulate Elliot in just the right way. So this is just one example of that. It's true, even though Elliot negs him quite a bit. <laughs> they, they both do a bit of that, I would say. It does make me laugh for a second that the young MA hired goon character um, is called Peanuts. <laughs> oh, I, I actually remember reading that that was a reference to another TV series, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. Oh, that's so interesting. If anyone knows the reference, they should tell us. And I think Peanuts has some really quotable lines through this. Um, apparently, Young M.A. didn't have any acting lessons or any acting background at all. So it's it's a small role, but I think it's an interesting one. And I feel like they did a pretty good job then if they didn't have that much experience. Right? Especially for such a sort of intense, conflict-fueled episode. So, yeah, I think that performance is interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, a character named Peanuts on a tense scene like this is really walking a tightrope. So it's really great that they didn't just manage to run it. I had been saying through the season that I thought Elliot's intentions were becoming really opaque to viewers. And one thing that I considered as I was... um, in the journey of watching this episode is that I think his intentions through the series become clearer to us than ever. What do you mean by that? I think that we can kind of connect the dots for some past events or why Elliot is interested in particular in going after certain kinds um, of people for certain kinds of acts to what we learn about him as we go through this episode. Oh, I see. And in some ways we can kind of look back at those events as foreshadowing for what is coming ahead. Exactly. I caught a Breaking Bad parallel here. So I think the quote you're talking about is when um, Mr. Robot says that he's not afraid of guns or being threatened by them because he is the gun himself. And it, um, it talks about how Walter White in Breaking Bad 
he said that he wasn't afraid of other people because he himself was the danger. And we know how many references, um, intentional or not, that the show makes to Breaking Bad. That is something that it called back to me a lot about. And um, I've also been saying that Breaking Bad, that's one of those series that has a character who goes from um, an anti-hero to just a villain by the end of the series. And I kind of feel like that's the trajectory that Elliot is on. And um, that's another way that we're kind of intended to reflect on how dangerous and frightening a person Elliot and Mr. Robot have become at this point. Thanks for walking us through that. I have to eat my words a little bit about something I said last episode. So remember when I said Vera had no class consciousness? Incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) Incorrect. So here he talks about, um, you know, the street hustler and, you know, the day trader being essentially the same. Uh, He talks about, you know, the rapists in lockup and the rapists in skyscrapers. So uh, we do get to see that his understanding of, um, of the world is, is a bit more nuanced than I had previously thought for this character. So I will, I will take that back. Yeah. I mean, he does kind of have like these glimmers of actual real uh, intelligence in him. Uh, He also referenced Frost Nixon earlier, which is one of my favorites. Um, Well, I mean, it's an interview. It's also a a film that's fantastic and it deals a lot with social engineering. So it has some overlap with what's going on in the series. Um, But yeah, maybe if you didn't smoke so much meth, you wouldn't be such a moron in all these other ways. (laughs) I mean, maybe. (laughs) He's very troubled. Yeah. Here, I think we get some of those classic Mr. Robot themes that we love so much about this show. You know, talking about behind every great fortune is a great crime, or the idea is to rob money itself. I think those key anti-capitalist concepts are part of what initially drew me to the show anyway. And so I like seeing them surface here. Right. And there was a huge, like, takeaway quote that I had, which is when Mr. Robot says that power is just an asshole stuffed with money. Um, That's really something that, like, brings back all of the season one vibes about the anti-capitalist sentiment that motivated the show. See, you have a more sophisticated take on this scene because my favorite quote and the one I wrote down is, you need to recollect, you need to recollect correct Nickelodeon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which wow. i just think you would really need a rapper to deliver that line properly actually. i know i'm saying and um uh i i would have had to practice it a bit more to deliver it eloquently but i mean you did rap in that one episode so i know i practiced that literally a hundred times in my car <laughs> so elliot's back and so we kind of see he gets himself out of hot water with um, Grant once in a similar way where basically by saying, hey, you know, I'm of value to you. I can carry out this big hack. Let me show you what I plan to do. Um, but you should spare me, basically. Um, and he tries that same approach with Vera, and I think he gets some traction. Yeah, and that brings us into Act 3 when he asks Vera to retrieve his laptop. So Act 3, this is usually the climax, and what that means is maybe not the most dramatic part, but this is usually where people's fortunes get reversed. So the climax is where everything goes crazy in a five-act play. I could definitely see that here. 
Another thing I was looking at was um, I wondered how much money Razer had to pay to get the product placement for um, Elliot Olerson using their laptop. Um, I'd also say that, like, not to touch shade, it's Razer, but I'm not really familiar with many hackers who use their products. I hope they didn't pay a lot because I didn't even notice that that's what it was. <laughs> so uh, That's called branding for you. Yeah, maybe, maybe the product placement was too subtle. So we're back in the kitchen now, and Elliot is... I assume he's showing them the bank accounts of the Deus group members. Yes, and um, the dialogue while they're looking over that and talking about how it's stadium money, I just uh, love that a lot. I love that too. I also have that stadium money written down. (laughs) I thought there might have been some connection here between that earlier quote, are you a one or a zero? Just because there's so much repeated talk about how many zeros there are, but I I don't think I can actually make that connection. Oh, well, uh, that is an interesting connection to make. Um, one thing that I'd like to talk about is that um, this is the gun that Elliot grabbed and put in his bag um, in the last episode of Tyrell. It's so sad to think about it that way. Um, we've always talked about how that's Chekhov's gun and how when you have a gun, it has to be fired. And this is kind of like um, an interesting subversion of that because the gun is fired. That doesn't mean the gun has any bullets. So... I think that this is kind of what the what the what the gun was there for, but that doesn't mean that it was actually used for shooting anybody. I liked that as a twist, and it honestly would be too too easy on us as the viewers for that gun to be loaded. I think, and it also kind of sets us up to remember that Vera is smarter than he seems at first. The other quote I think is significant here is he kind of realizes Krista's real significance to Elliot, and he says, "Oh, she's your shaman." Yeah, and um. I, I was saying in the last episode that Vera and Elliot are in many ways more similar than it would seem at first. And this is just one way that they make that connection more explicit. So act four, this is the the falling action of a play. And so this, there's usually a bit of relief for the viewer in it, because this is the point where you start to think that the protagonist might escape the fate that you think is going to swallow them up the first three acts. In contrast to that, the storm inside is only getting louder. It makes it seem even more threatening. And I I really appreciated what you said at the beginning of this episode about considering the storm as a metaphor and not so much as a literal happening. Yeah, especially when Elliot goes and screams in front of the storm later. I think that it's really just um, some kind of like old-timey cinemagraphic uh, references that they're trying to follow. Vera talks about how he wants to establish real trust between them. And I think one of the ways he thinks he's going to get that is by having Krista carry out a real therapy session with Elliot. It sort of can't really be a real therapy session, though, because that has the, uh, you know, you could call it even the set in the setting of um, needing to be in a controlled environment and um, under, like, specific circumstances that are amenable to asking questions that are like this. I have a note that says, most awkward group therapy ever. <laughs> that's why I didn't do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I now see why you know, that's a that's a tough pill to swallow. Actually, I should avoid making any references to that in this episode. Um, 
The hired goons are dismissed. Elliot is coaching Krista and urging her to proceed, even though she's protesting pretty strongly. Right, since I think that Elliot, um, he kind of realizes what's at stake. He also realizes that it's something that they can kind of do as a performance. Or at least that's how I felt like uh, he was trying to convince Krista to do. I think that's how they enter into the conversation, is it is almost performative. And he's feeding her her lines, really. Hey, my mom just died. We should talk about that. Don't you have a question for me about that? Mm-hmm. I guess that's, um, he's getting the riff off of the brand names. Yeah, but we all know we're not going to be able to walk out of here without the brand names. Also, you know that Mr. Robot had mentioned that they're on like the second floor of the third story building? He shoots the gun into the floor right now. Like Nobody's under there. What's going on? Maybe they're away because it's Christmas. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um. Elliot has a secret. That idea is introduced to us, and half of the people in this room know the secret. But, and I understand this from Elliot's perspective, if you have a secret that you are not aware of, it's going to be irresistible to you to know what that is. It's like when you tell your dog not to eat something. (laughs) Yeah. Or it's like when you tell yourself not to think about something. (laughs) We do come back to... um, I think what they called the window event. Yes, and um, this is something that's been talked about in kind of very vague ways before in the past, and this is when we kind of get to understand what the actual context there is. One thing we realized pretty quickly is that what Elliot has as his recollection of this is the account that Darlene gave to him and that his own memories are uh, blocked from him in some way. Yes, and we know that um, Elliot also has his own influence on Darlene's recollection of the situation. So in a way, her memories are being reflected back to Elliot as the memories that he had been trying to give to Darlene. It's interesting maybe as a comment about um, memory being mutable and also our consciousness protecting us from certain memories that we might have. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the central themes of the series. One thing that really um, has an impact on me in this scene is the way that Elliot talks about Edward Alderson, his father. And I think it just reminds me that people can have really complex and even contradictory feelings about their abusers and that that's normal. Right. And um, it also made me think about how earlier in the season, particularly, um, Elliot and Zarlene had went to um, their mother's uh, facility whatever you would call that and they found out that she had died um and we remember that the caretaker was speaking about her in all these really positive terms but um elliot and zarlene didn't really care about her as much as they did so it kind of went to show you that everybody has their own different perspective on how a person can behave and um that's something that is explored more in this scene between elliot and his father i think i understand their relationship with their mother a bit better too where their mother is the other adult who was there during these years where I'm going to suspect both Alderson children experience trauma. And so the mom is either complicit or turning a blind eye or totally oblivious to it. And that, of course, must affect the way they feel about her, too, even if she's not the perpetrator. Right. Um, I think that they they definitely don't do a good job of showing the the mother in the situation in a good light. But I was also kind of wondering um, how she might be influenced by the situation that Edward is putting her in, knowing that he's also such a bad person. 
it kind of invokes some of those um, feelings that we have about like Santiago and the Dark Army and about how people can be controlled and um, that makes them do things that they don't necessarily want to do. But um, yeah, I think that like this does definitely put our opinions about his parents into a very different light than we had thought of before. And we really need to go back and reevaluate everything that we had taken for granted. When we were talking offline, you said something like, and nobody's ever going to want a Mr. Robot Funko Pop again. <laughs> and I really felt so guilty for the person on Reddit who had just finished a painting of Mr. Robot and Elliot next to each other because, like, you just really can't look at that the same way ever again. I think what's going to be tough for us as viewers to do is to make a separation between Edward Alderson and Mr. Robot because they have the same physical manifestation and form. But Mr. Robot, I think, is still a, a good guy as much as anybody is in this show. I mean, he's there as the kind of idealized, you know, the father he deserved, you know, one who would protect him. Yeah. I mean, you could say that Christian Slater is kind of betting the rest of his career on us making that separation. Although, I mean, people play people who do bad things, right? And his performance... Um, this season, I think, has been really different than the performance of Mr. Robot in previous seasons. There is a moment here where he says, I can't protect you anymore, and, and walks out of this scene. Do you think we're going to see Mr. Robot again in the series? I feel like um, I, I would like there to be. This definitely does seem like it would be a really good send-off for the character, a really good like conclusion to the story arc that they had built up. Um, but... I feel like Mr. Robot is something that's so integral to Elliot, something that's been there ever since the beginning of episode one, something that I really want to extend to the very end of the series and something that I'll feel is kind of lacking if it's not there. And also I feel like um, this opens up a, the opportunity for like a confrontation between Elliot and Robot to talk about how they had found themselves in the situation and to get into more depth about um, the background of how Mr. Robot came into his life. One thing, and I'm kind of zooming out and thinking about this series at this point, that I'm not sure how the showrunners are going to handle is the momentum. So this is the seventh episode of season four. We have six left to go, I believe. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Or it's, it's 13 episodes, isn't it? I think so. Yes. And so they've really slowed down time. This is the longest Christmas day in history, <laughs> but there's still a lot of ground to cover. So we haven't yet got to the Deus group meeting. We haven't got to that hack that's going to be carried out there or whatever the culmination of White Rose's big plan is going to be. So I think there's an awful lot of ground to cover in these next six episodes. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the season has also had so many major character deaths, and we need to consider that this happened, like, practically in the past week. <laughs> I was thinking by the end of the night, there's really only going to be four cast members left. Oh, wow. I wonder which four that's going to be. <laughs> four isn't a number I am <laughs> linking anyone to, but just they're getting pared down one by one. <laughs> yeah. So are we ready to talk about the fifth and final act? Yes, and um, now that we're in the final act, I think I can call to the point that um, these acts, I, I've heard references that they're structured in the same way as the, um, what's it, the Kubler-Ross Kubler model of grief or something? Sorry. Oh, the five interesting. Of grief. Um, so it goes from denial to anger to bargaining, depression, and, um, and here we find acceptance. 
you know, I'm if I can bring myself to watch this episode one more time, I'm going to watch it with that framework in mind. I have a note that says little social worker Vera is really trying to be a decent person to Elliot in this act. He does seem like he's trying to be a decent person, but I think that's... Um... We need to go back to what he was saying to Krista in the last episode about how once he had beaten up that person with a bat, he went to the hospital and uh, approached on massive friends. And it seems like now he's figured out what Elliot's trauma is and he's figured out how to take advantage of him. And now he's going in there to be a protector because he knows that that's how he can win Elliot to his side. So I have a hard time figuring out if Vera is um, actually being honest in how he feels about Elliot here, or if it's just um, motivated by his goals of taking over New York and having Elliot on his side. But um, another thing is that, like, we've been talking about how in this season, Elliot is not presenting us his interior monologue. All we see is him being an asshole to other people because we don't understand his motivations. Um, What Vera is doing right here is social engineering Elliot. And if if actually we had seen this from his perspective, we might be sympathizing with him because we know that he is um, he has this goal. This is how he can take advantage of Elliot. And the tricks that he's pulling are much the same as the ones that Elliot would have pulled on all kinds of other people throughout the series. It's interesting that you raise that because as I'm watching this scene, I was trying to think whether I thought his comments were calculated or whether they were a genuine expression of caring and trying to rebuild someone who's in a really difficult place. And I noticed that for somebody who they call stupid throughout the entire episode, by the end of it, Vera gets exactly what he wants and he does exactly what he says he's going to do because he finds out what Elliot's key is. Um, He finds the monster and he turns the key and um, then he takes advantage of that in just the way that he explains it to stuff. The other theater reference that I think I pick up on here I mentioned waiting for Gatto earlier as Elliot talks about how he he doesn't know how to go on like this and there's a line in that play um, I can't go on I'll go on and I think that's where Elliot is he's at a place where he feels like he can't go on but he will and he does and um, that play also was referenced in this uh, series back in uh, season two wasn't it I think there was a reference to it, but it's escaping me right this second. I think that it was the book that Hot Krista was burning. Oh, Hot Carla? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Hot Krista. Sorry. Yes, Hot Carla. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe. Let's look back at that. Uh, do you believe that Vera, when he expresses that he had uh, a similar childhood trauma, do you believe him? Um, in a way, I do, because I think that we know that he... Um, I mean, to put it lightly, is an asshole. <laughs> and oftentimes people who do that are kind of um, repeating a cycle of abuse that they've experienced. And in this universe, um, we've said before, nobody's really good, nobody's really bad. Everybody has their own motivation that brings them to do these things. And um, I think that maybe this is part of what makes Vera the person that he is. Um, not to say that every person who experiences that will turn out like Vera. I mean, um, there clearly is all kinds of other things wrong with him, but it does just give us a little bit more um, backstory to his character. Actually, a smart therapist once said to me that um, for people who experience childhood trauma, for everyone who ends up in cycles of difficult behavior, it's just as common to 
consciously work to break that cycle and do something different in your life. So of course, yeah, it's not a predictor of um, any any future issues that you might have, although there's certainly a correlation. And I think Vera too, I mean, thinking about the broader social structures he grows up in, I mean, this may have seemed like his only option for success or fame or power. And I think that's kind of what they try and um, do to Vera toward the end of this episode. They try and give him a bit of humanity just when it becomes too late. <laughs> it is the first moment where I kind of see his humanity because he comes off, uh, I think, you know, in moments of caring in previous episodes that he's in, those moments of caring seem manipulative to me. And this, even though it may be manipulative, um, feels a bit more compelling and we have learned more about him. So you're right that we get that little glimmer of it, but then, of course, it's snatched away almost immediately. And it's so sad because Elliot is also talking about how he doesn't want to be alone. He's really, I think that he's actually falling into Vera's like um, fly trap here, where Vera has succeeded in breaking him down, and now he's trying to come in and, and pick up Elliot to build him up in the way that he wants him to. Um, so again, to call back, like Vera is doing exactly what he said he was, and he's actually a little bit more capable of that than people had assumed before. But um, Elliot now, he's sort of starting to sympathize with Vera, and then is like, like you were saying, it's right when it's snatched away from him. What do you think about Krista being the one to kill Vera? I remember texting you right at that minute that it was a bit of fan service because I love having Krista kill Vera, to be honest. Like, it does make sense in the plot, but it just is exactly what I wanted to happen. It was like the number one thing that I wanted to happen. So it felt like it was like a little too on the nose because it was just too perfect. But um, I, I, I feel like that was what I was hoping to see at the beginning of the episode. Um. One little thing, actually, that, like, I feel like it, it's a little bad to tack on to the end of the episode because it's um, a bit of a larger theme that I would like to talk about. But I think that um, him being stabbed in the back, I think that um, that's actually something that, like, is a, a visual metaphor in the way that we consider backstabbing to be a verb. And we think about how that means um, you place your trust in somebody and then have them betray you. And this visual metaphor, like, when I saw it, I thought that it um, it really, like, told me about what the underlying theme of Mr. Robot was up until this whole point. Um, we know that all of the seasons have been very disparate so far. They have different, like, um, genres almost. But um, I think that one underlying theme that um, shines to us through all of these seasons is the concept of trust and uh, betrayal and being backstabbed and how in one way social engineering, a, a very big uh, part of the series is about like manipulating people's trust and using it against them. We also see how characters relations um, are abused, even going back to um, characters in season one. And um, it's not only about how people can be betrayed by the people who they place trust in, but the aftermath of that and um, like the isolation, the trauma and um, the consequences that characters like Elliot have for being abused like this. So I think that also makes us think of characters like um, Olivia and characters even like um, like Ian Steel Manson, who Elliot shouted at and all of these other um, people in a, in a different light. 
Thanks for speaking to that, because I was trying to think about the significance of the particular way that he's killed. And I think you seized on something really interesting there. I also love that it's Krista who does it. I love that it's his brother's knife, his brother who he had executed. And um, this is also the knife that killed Shayla, he was saying. So it kind of uh, has some poetic justice there. It does feel as though uh, that knife has come full circle. We're left with some answers to questions that people have probably had throughout the series about the root of Elliot's trauma and how Mr. Robot came to be part of his life. We are finally made aware of those pieces. There's still a lot of the story left to tell, though. Yeah, I feel like um, at least we have a, a few more episodes left that we can hopefully handle those all in. But the pacing is really starting to pick up, isn't it? I think the pacing will kind of have to pick up because they've really been stretching out these moments. And I don't know if the intention is that the rest of the series will all conclude on this same Christmas day or not. But I'm interested to see how they play with the timeline. I'm going to place a bet here that the 1116 references that they've been making this whole time are um, a reference to January 1st, 2016. So I think we're going to get to at least that day and that'll be the end of it. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, I guess that remains to be seen. Double or nothing on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening today. Um, We are recording in Ontario, Canada. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. Bonsoir.